Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, we are still in 2 Corinthians, uh, the, in the middle of uh, chapters 8 and 9. I counted about 20 verses that we're going to try and cover today, which is a little bit above our average. Um, but uh, this is a great section, a lot of good material for us to, to go through. Um, before we uh, begin, I've asked Brother Cameron to lead us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our God Most High, we are so thankful for all that you've done for us. We are thankful for uh, your incredible wisdom that you've uh, created this world in such a, a beautiful way, uh, but you've also shown us, uh, revealed yourself in your word. And we're thankful for this opportunity to get to open your word, to open it to these letters, to the, the churches, and learn from these things that Paul had to say, the things that uh, you had to say through Paul. And we're, we're thankful for that. And we pray that as we open your word, we'll have an open heart and mind to the things that you have to say to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in this section, just to touch on a couple of things we've already addressed, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, the Corinthians had some questions as to the, the logistics of a collection that was being gathered for needy saints in Judea, and he, he answered some of those logistical questions. But now he has some concerns in the fact that they have sort of backed out of that commitment. It, it seems as though they, they've stopped uh, collecting, and, and he wants them to pick that back up. He brings up uh, how he has boasted about this work in them among uh, the Macedonian churches. Uh, and we talked previously about Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi and how they were eager to participate in this. I find it interesting if you look back at some of those Macedonian letters, like Philippians and the letters to the Thessalonians, you don't see Paul chastising them for their greed. You don't see any issue in that. And you can see their heart here in 2 Corinthians, how they are how they are eager and ready to participate um, in this. We've already gone through about the first half of, of chapter 8. And so I'll go ahead and just read for us, um, starting in verse 10 and reading through about halfway through uh, uh, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete it also, the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have done, or what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over. 
and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, proving, uh, uh, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. We'll go ahead and stop there this time. So we've already talked about the idea of generosity and how that it's more than just money. It's not a, a, a particular um, amount of money, but it's more than just dollars and cents. It's about being generous with our, with our time, with our attitudes, with, with our hearts. Uh, and we said uh, back in, in verse 9, as one of our key verses, that the model of being generous is looking at Jesus and what he has done. He, though rich, became poor so that we through his poverty, might become rich. 
And so he ties in with that as we look in verses 10 and following. They had this desire to do this, and he's calling them to complete that task. Um, and, he, and he points out in, in verse 12, for if there is a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. God is not disappointed in the amount, whether it's great, he, it's, it's no more glory to God, there's a great amount, nor any shame in a, in a small amount. What God cares about is that the heart is there. And if, we, and if the heart is not there, then, then why, why gather, why, why give? Um, I think that's important for us um, to, to learn and to share that idea with those around us, even our children, that, that we teach them, you know, it's not about any particular amount. It's that we, that, that we instill in one another a heart that wants to give. And, and so we see that... Uh, he makes some more points, say in verses 13 through 15, uh, that, that what's important is also that there is some fairness in there. And when, now we, now when we talk about fairness and equality, it's not necessarily talking about equality of money that, that um, when it says uh, in verse 14, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. It's rather everybody giving to one another, sharing with one another, so that, so that there is equality of needs that are being met. Um, what stands out to you uh, in this section? We see the, the, that he speaks of the blessing of this kind of equality the blessing of uh, being able to give, being able to receive, and being able to, to be participants in that. We'll start with Brad and then Bob. I've heard a uh, criticism of the church uh, religion in general. You know, it's like you serve an all-powerful God that can create anything, and yet the church is always asking for money. <laughs> and I think that's, it's kind of funny from that standpoint that it's like, yeah, if, if that's where your basis is, it does seem ironic. But I think God is trying to teach us something about being generous. He's a generous God that there is a uh, element of generosity that he is trying to instill in us, not that he needs our money to accomplish anything, but there is an attitude of humility and um, serving other people that is a preemptive over uh, those needs or trying to get something from me. Looking at the, looking at this existence and the needs that we that we face and and our brothers and sisters face through a through a spiritual lens. If, we, if we're looking at it through carnal uh, mindset, yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but, but looking at it with an eternal mindset, that's, uh, I agree with that. Yes, Paul? One interesting thing is that Paul does not here uh, criticize them for 
the amount of money that they may have gathered. gathered. You know, like sometimes places you see uh, a goal, and, okay, we're this close to the goal of how much we want to, you know, fundraise, quote, unquote. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you've not gathered enough. You're not given as much as this other group, but you started something and you stopped. We're not told why. We've got some ideas as to why uh, because of some of the accusations that maybe have been made against Paul. And, you know, they're a little unconcerned or concerned about that possibly. But the fact is, okay, you've stopped. You need to continue on. You need to pick it back up and, and go with what you first started. Kind of like when he wrote, uh, wasn't the Ephesians that they'd left their first love? Yeah, and, I, I agree. So that's something similar. You know, Jesus told them that they'd left their first love. So, uh, you know, you got to continue with what you start. Yeah, uh, I heard one uh, comment made in verse 14, just emphasizing the small, the small phrase, now at this time. The time to be generous is now. Now, there's benefits in, in, in storing up so that we can give whenever needs arise, but also if we have a, you know what, I'm going to wait till I have X amount of money and then I'll finally be able to help. We're never gonna, we're never gonna reach that. And, and the same is true with other things. If I, you know what, once I have some time that I can finally actually help somebody, then, then I'll do that. But no, having a generous mind is one that is acting now and doing that now. Yes, Luke. Yeah, it's funny what Brad, what Brad said. I was thinking something on a similar line because you read verse 14, it talks about how there's, it starts off with inequality, right? Some have an abundance, some have a need, but it ends with equality. I mean, he actually uses that word. And so I was thinking like, why would God create us where not everybody has the same amount of something? Or put another way, what would we miss if everybody had all their needs taken care of by themselves? And I think what we would miss is the sense of community. And you wouldn't have this, we would have fewer opportunities to show our brethren that we love them if we didn't have those opportunities. And I was, there was a statistic a while ago, and I can't remember the exact thing, but it, the way that it was asked. But it was like, it was something where they asked different people in different countries about to what degree did they feel like they had a purpose in life? The number one country was Liberia. Okay, Liberia is not a, not a country that's, that's, it's like very low on the economic spectrum. The ones where people felt like they had the least, like a mission or, I can't remember how they put it, was Norway, was a wealthy nation. And maybe that's the kind of thing we've seen here. If everybody can take care of their needs, they don't actually feel like they have as much of a purpose in life, because maybe in a certain sense they don't. That's that's a very good point. I think that ties in well with uh, the how um, Paul cites in verse 15 um, the collection of the manna. We've talked uh, we have talked a little bit about this before in Exodus chapter 16 uh, when God when uh, God provides the manna for the people. I, at least at one point, used to read it as though everybody got the amount that they needed for them and their families. But it, it doesn't necessarily read as that. It, it 
as Paul mentions, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Some were able to get, gain a lot and some were not, but that led to the ability to, uh, to share. He gives some with more so that they, they can share with, with others. And, and there's also that built-in sense or that built-in motivation to share. If you look at the story of, uh, of the manna, what was guaranteed to happen to the manna? It was going to spoil. It was going to rot. And that's what's going to happen with our money and our possessions and our time if we store it up for ourselves. And so, and so, and, and you can even see that in James chapter five, the first sub, several verses there, that that those who have stored up for the last days, their things are going to be moth-eaten and rust and decay. And so, if we have that mindset that you know the stuff that I'm, I have, I'm not going to be able to take with me. Um, we're going to. <laughs> I might as well. I, I I need to share. I need to help with other people. If you go back to the Exodus account, though, the next verse, Moses tells them, don't take any more than what you're going to need. And the whole emphasis of the children traveling through the wilderness was their reliance on God. God will take care of you. You take what you need. And so when he brings it over here, it's the same purpose. It's our reliance on God. Give your give to each other. And he says in 14, he says, the present time, the abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. So it's, it's we you supply mine, there come, when it comes back around, I may have to supply yours, but it's all, all in reliance on God and God's people. Yeah. So if if you take God, you can't take him out of the picture of, of the manna because he said, just take enough for today. I'll provide for you tomorrow. So if we take care of each other's needs today, he'll provide for us tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely. God, God provides for everybody by working through us, by us being generous. That's a very good point. Anything else before we move on? Okay, so uh, what we see how he, how he wraps up at least chapter 8 as it's divided in our, in our text. Um, he points out that there are people who are going to come and, and make and help help them in the um, collection and the administering of this. Uh, he mentions uh, Titus. Interesting that in verse 16, uh, God is the one who puts the earnest care in the heart of Titus, that God is working in Titus's heart, and, and still even he words it in verse, verse 17, that, that Titus isn't uh, forced to go or reluctant to go, but he does it of his own volition. He, he wants to, to go and help. Um, in verses 18 and 19, he mentions somebody else. 
we don't know. I don't care to speculate um, uh, who this famous brother, the person who ha- this brother who has a reputation among the churches. Perhaps um, it was in he was intentionally unnamed. Maybe he asked for his name not to be included in this, but this is not the only time that Paul has left names out even in this book. Uh, we think back in chapter two uh, of the one who, who's potentially being overcome by grief uh, that, uh, and, and even the people who have charges against Paul, he doesn't, he doesn't name them, but he uh, he says, these people are wanting to, to help in the administering of, the, of this in verse 19, to the glory of the Lord himself and uh, your ready mind. Um, he, he brings out in verse uh, 20 that he wants everything to look above board. He, he's not wanting to give ammunition to people to make accusations against him that, that he's really secretly taking some of this money for himself. Um, and then in verse 22, uh, we have sent with them another brother, again, not named, uh, who we, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent. I like that idea of being diligent. This brother in particular, you see the Macedonians who are being diligent in this work and, and how uh, Paul's calling them if God is working in their hearts, they will be diligent, they will be eager, they will be ready to work in this. Um, he, um, he has heard Paul boasting of this work. Paul uh, uh, telling him about this, and he wants to be encouraged. It's a, um, I have a question here. Whenever we hear of the good work that other people do, how do we respond? Do we respond, praise God, that's great. I want to do it too, whether I participate in the same act or if I do something different. Or uh, do, we, do we get resentful of, oh, he's just doing that just to make a name for himself. He's having so many Bible studies. He's giving this, this uh, person over here. No, it, I, I feel challenged in this to, to examine, like, that there is encouragement when we hear of the good work that God is doing through other people. Um, it's, it, um, yeah, there, there, there's more that could be said there in that. Um, what, what else stands out to you in, in at least this part? I'm yes, actually Lisa. so glad you said that, Micah, because I've been thinking about that um, comment or just the whole point uh, several times that Paul says in his epistles, you know, we hear of your faith or I give thanks and prayers when I hear that you are growing. And, and it's made me think, how does he hear these things? Well, from other brethren telling him of their travels, their journeys, what they experienced when they were with these people. And it just makes me think, Am I noticing and looking around and seeing the good things that God's people are doing? And am I trying to make a concentrated effort to share those encouraging things with other people and other congregations and other states? 
and try to help encourage them. And that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, different, different locations, different, uh, different parts of the world all together. Job and then Mr. Allen. Um, it's it, kind of going back to verse 14 and kind of tying in with 18, 19, and then going down to 23, where it says they are messengers of the churches. Could it be interpreted, you know, that this abundance isn't so much as wealth, you know, as in financial? Could this be a wealth of knowledge that these people kind of were bestowed, you know, through their relationships to where they are now to spread the message even further to these new new Christians? To where, you know, and, and like I said, you know, we're the messengers of the church to where they are now kind of imparting this knowledge that they have been blessed with, you know, from God onto others to keep spreading that message, to grab that abundance of where, you know, new Christians or people who are lacking, for instance, to gain that wealth in that sense. Could that be a possible interpretation as well? That's a good point. Um, I don't think that they just said, hey, let's find some trustworthy men who aren't going to steal money here. Let's send them, deliver the money, and then come back. No, it's, it's that, they are, that they are messengers. I, I didn't confirm this, but I think one comment said that, uh, uh, that these, this word could be rendered as apostles, that 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 is that uh, that they are sharing with with the Corinthian brethren the glory of Christ, and this collection is a manifestation of that. Yes, Alan. In verse twenty-four, it says, "Give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you in these men." You know, it's one thing to love; it's another thing to act. And here they were saying, or at least observing a love that they had for the brethren. You can care for people. You can say, oh, I, I really wish the best for them. But it was really different when someone comes up to you and they say, how can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I show my love? And that's really important that we do that. And people who have asked me, how can I help you? How can I show my love? That's meant the world to me, that they didn't just hug me on Sunday, but they came to my house maybe, and they did something for me, and that meant the most. Absolutely. If we have, if we lift up our eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest, more than just sharing the gospel, but seeing, hey, there are needs, there are, everyone has needs, and we are equipped by God for every good work in this. Um, and so, do, do we see that, or do we, um, are we proactive in that? I, I, I'm encouraged by, uh, and challenged when brethren do, do things just without even being asked to do it. They just see that need, and that they do that. <laughs> One of the passages that I have here um, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, one of the ones that we're, we're often familiar with, um, starting, starting up with verse 23, um, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, let's consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That, that, um, 
to, to Lisa's point, hearing of each other's faith, hearing of the work that is, that's being done. It's almost a, a good form of gossip, a, a positive um, encouraging the others by saying this is, this is how God is working in the lives of his people. Um, I'm not designed to do everything by myself. But what really helps is whenever I am stirred up. You don't see a whole lot of scriptures where Paul is telling people, stir yourself up. No, we're to stir one another up. Yeah, correct. I've been trying to think of the word that's the opposite of gossip, and I'm not sure, but when we talk about other people to other people, it's infectious. And we know gossip is obviously a, a bad version of that, but here it's just, it's a constant reminder. There's also a good version of that, that when we brag on other people to other people, it's infectious, and then it, it, it spurs us all on. And so uh, I just so appreciate their example of um, how many different individuals, but also entire churches, were being spurred on by Paul bragging on this group. Um, so if someone, you know, a better thesaurus than I could, could come up with the opposite word of gossip, then that's what's happening here. Yeah. And, and you see that as we get into chapter 9, the first couple of verses. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast to you, to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal... Uh, has stirred up the majority. And it's not, not everybody, but, but most people have heard this and they want to uh, respond um, accordingly. Um, I always looked at something that we've, we talk about um, when we look at scripture and how we function as a church of the idea of church autonomy. And I used to think of that as, you know what? We as a church do our thing and we have nothing to do with any other church whatsoever. And I think this sort of speaks, is, is sort of pushing that or challenging that, that you know, we, we see um, church autonomy is not designed to build walls, but each group works together and makes their own decisions, but we, we can do that exact same thing if we hear we hear Dan Kane talking about what, what's happening where he's preaching, whenever we hear people in other parts of the world, in South America, and, and um, talking about what people are doing, when they talk about not only these people are in, in need, and yet, look at their generous hearts. Look at what they are doing. Um, that, that, that stirs up us to, to also... Uh, participate in that. Um, very good. In verse 14, uh, lest if some Macedonians come with me um, and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, uh, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Paul is commending the Corinthian brethren to the Macedonians saying this is a work that they plan to do 
And they're going to see it through. And that's stirred up the Macedonians. And now Paul's doing the same thing, the, the vice versa of that, of saying, Corinthians, look at what the Macedonians are doing. You, uh, you should see that and, and want to, to participate, want to rekindle that. It's not empty praise. It's not praise, uh, uh, it's not like... These people are, are doing amazing work when really they, they have a change of heart uh, and they're, they're being stingy. But he sees the, the power of God in that and he has confident boasts in that. Yeah, Lisa. Um, another study I was doing um, earlier today is really tying in well with Corinthians. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul was praying that they, that God would, he was praying several things for them, but one of them was that their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And so going to what you just said about him talking to Macedonians and Achaeans and Corinthians, he, I think it's, he's not trying to one-up everybody by pitting them against each other. Um, why aren't you guys giving as much of this as these guys are? I think he's trying to help enlighten the eyes of all of our hearts to seeing the need and the opportunity and you know we might I'm, I might be the widow and I don't have a lot to give but I give what I give as much as I can and I'm moved to even if it's everything um, I'm not doing it stingy because my heart is enlightened to what God has done for me and so therefore you know domino effect I, I agree with that and, and so he he highlights in not a ton of words. Uh, one of the challenges there in verse five is a heart of obligation, of um, reluctance, perhaps of greed. And, and, he, and um, there are things at stake in this collection if they don't bring it to completion. It's not just, guys, if, if you don't collect, then this... Uh, then, then these people in Judea do not receive the money that, that, that will help them. But he says, you know what? Uh, what also is at stake is the encouragement of the Macedonians. If they hear, you know what, these people started it off but they didn't finish it, how are they going to hear that? Um, if... Uh, even Paul's reputation in the sense of he has been boasting about the power of God in their lives, and if in reality that, that doesn't ha happen, then how will people view, view Paul? And, and even their faith is at stake in all of this. So he's wanting them to, it's not, you need to give, so give. No, he, he talks about the heart. And he talks about Jesus. And he talks about um, as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. And so uh, that takes us into uh, verse 6 and following. But any other comments at least through verses 1 through 5? We've already made this point um, in, in, in our class tonight. Um, it's not necessarily about uh, 
what the Corinthians can do, but it's about what God is actively doing in their lives. Yes, Alan. I was just going to look at verse 6, but I was waiting until you introduce it. Great. I, I, was, uh, I was just about to jump into that. So, yeah, uh, hold, hold on to that mic. Think of, think of how Paul sees God at work. And I think that's even a challenge to us. We need to see God at work in one another. That, that God, that, or, or do we just see it as me trying to do things by my own power and by my own checkbook? No, it's what God is able, what God is able to do. Um, he is the standard of the cheerfulness that we'll see in verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Um, we see in verse, um, verse 8, um, he, he's not necessarily, he's not asking them to give what isn't there because God is the one who is providing for them. We'll see that in verse 10. Uh, um, and so God is the one who provides and he's the one who also provides the increase. He, he, he is the one who, we, we saw back in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 7 that, that God provides the increase in the work that is being done among his people. And so um, in verse 6, we see this, in this principle here. Um, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, it's, not, it's not, again, about dollars and cents. But it's talking about a harvest of righteousness. It's a, it's a, it's a harvest of righteousness that, that, uh, that God is going to be receiving all the praise and he's working and changing hearts in all of this. Um, I had some more thoughts on verse six, but I'll let Alan. Uh, well, I was seeing how well it tied into Proverbs eleven twenty four where it says one gives freely yet grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. Can you read verse 25 also? Yes, I was. I had that on my notes. <laughs> Whoever brings blessings will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Absolutely. So it's not saying, you know what? If I if I give, then I'm gonna get a bunch of stuff. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna make myself rich as long as I as I give uh, to others. Um, that's. Uh, you see some people who have that kind of interpretation of what the gospel is. That's not what, why Jesus came. Um, but we see that, that that harvest, that that watering and that growth um, is, is, is a heart growth um, of sorts. Another proverb, uh, since we're, we looked at uh, Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. Another one in uh, Proverbs 19, verse 17. Um, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. He will pay back as, as he has given. Again, the idea of God is 
a giver. And he, he sees those in need. And he has equipped those who do have to share, to pour themselves out into this. There's a, there is a temptation in this because on the surface, it seems counterintuitive um, because the world says, the more I give, the less I have. But, but uh, if, we are, if we have a sparing attitude, if we have a stingy, um, reluctant, under-obligation attitude, that really shows that we have not surrendered everything to God. Both of our mic runners are looking at their Bibles. So, yes, Nina. <laughs> Nina. In, in my version, verse 6 is, Now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. So within the context here, it sounds like he's saying, because he constantly mentions us, or the, them doing everything with readiness. So if we are so eager and so ready to help, and we do it sparingly, we will bless them. And then in turn, the blessings will come back on us from God. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, the, the glory be to God when we are supplying for the needs of others and when others are supplying for our needs. Um, com, um, we aren't to hoard. Do we look for those opportunities to help or do we just wait until somebody asks? And then also in that level of equality, whenever we are the recipients, that's just a reminder of we're, we aren't self-sufficient. We aren't designed to, to provide just for ourselves. Um, yeah, Craig. There are rare instances where God actually encourages his people to test him. Usually he condemns them for that. Uh, but in Malachi 3, he actually, he says, test me in this because they've been withholding the tithe from him. And he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Um, God is saying, try, try me out. Put me to the test here and see. I will make sure that you have more, more than what you need. What verse uh, is that? I'm sorry, that was Malachi 3, uh, verse 10. Okay, thank you. Again, this idea of wanting to, to give and searching for opportunities to give, um, not having a, a self first, let me take care of myself first, and then what, with whatever's left over, I can help. I 100% agree with your assessment of Proverbs 11, uh, because 
if you, it's pretty clear there's people who have a lot of money who are less generous than others. And actually, the, the truth is, if you look at the statistics on this, I've read books on, from like economists, that poor people on average give a larger percentage of their income. But there was one weird thing. I read this from an economist, and he pointed out, it kind of made me rethink maybe Proverbs 11 a little bit here. He said that on average, when you account for all the other variables, because some people are just born with more money, but when you account for all the variables, people who are more generous in general do make more money than if they would have been had they not been generous. And he does this whole, I, I read this in a book and I was kind of surprised. He had in these appendix, he had the data, and he, so I, I switched to it. He used the least squares analysis for it. And actually, he made a pretty, I was really surprised. He made a compelling argument that's the case. And he said the reason he thinks this is the case is that when you, when you look at your job as not just something for you to make your own needs met, but you start to think about it, how you can use that for something bigger than just yourself to help, help other people have their needs met, it makes you a different type of employee. And I thought a lot about that. And I actually, I would say, I became a little bit of a different employee too. I started to rethink about how do I think about my job and what kind of value it offers. Uh, that's a good point. So uh, to repeat what you said, that, uh, that generous people uh, make better employees because that, that attitude of that they're not just working for themselves, that they are working for other people. Um, and we see that even in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, that the one who, uh, let him who steals, steal no longer, but let him work with his hands so that he can have, not for himself, but he can have to give and share with others in need. Alan that was Josh. the verse I was going to talk about. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, but, I just. You know, I was taught at a young age to give to people who have a need and and it's not much to carry a little extra in your pocket or your wallet that's just set aside that you forget about that, oh, here's someone who might need it. Here I can share. And, you know, so many times people will try to say, well, I remember when I was like five, I gave to somebody and some man came up and said, he's just going to go around there and buy a liquor with that. And my mom said, it's better to give to them because you're giving to God and let, let that sort itself out. But to set some aside in our budgets in the month, set some aside to forget about until we come across that need of someone. And not only the money, we might set aside a bag with stuff for the homeless, something that we can give them from socks to, you know, various different things they need. And, um, do things like that with our time. Something that I had in my notes and I skipped over it. The idea of um, that's being described here in this giving is one of readiness and eagerness. And something, and something that is directly tied in with that is being intentional. Is being... Um, is actually planning. And so you said, set some aside. It's not take care of yourself in X, Y, and Z and all of these things. And then, oh, I have a little leftover. Let me be generous with that. No, that's, that's not the attitude to have, is, is to think of, of others first. Josh and then Tim. Yeah, you mentioned where is God in this? And I, I can't help but keep bouncing back and forth between verse 6 and verse 10. Uh, in verse 6, it, it paints this agricultural picture of people sowing, 
much and reaping much. And in verse 10, it talks about the one who provided the seed. God, God created the seed for the sower to sow. And God is involved in that plant germinating and coming to fruition and then providing seed for the next crop. He's not speaking purely agriculturally, though. He's talking about providing for us the things that we need to provide to others. He gives us those things, but he's also involved in how that germinates within the person that we're helping. It talks about a harvest of righteousness in verse 10. He is involved in a righteous way in giving us the opportunity, but also in giving the person who's being helped an opportunity to come to know him better. Amen. Yeah, Tim. I really like your uh, point about uh, seeing God work through other people, seeing God work through us. and um, Because like it or not, money becomes a touchy thing <laughs> in our world and amongst people. And, uh, you know, I think that made me think about Barnabas and then Ananias and Sapphira and you know, if, you know, if Ananias and Sapphira would have seen God working through Barnabas instead, or seen it as God working through them when they were giving, it, you know, um, that situation could have been so much different. But I, I really like that point. Thank you. Yes. Well, money and food and clothing, that's all things of the world. And that's not really what God's about. He's about cleansing us and redeeming us and, uh, uh, you know, binding us up and healing us. And um, so, but if he can use those worldly instruments through humble, righteous people to help other people to draw them to him, then so be it. That's a good thing. But our hearts, if our hearts are set on him and the things of him and spiritual things, then all the things he's blessed us with in this world, we'll just use them as things to use to help people. Good idea. I like that. Other thoughts in this section? I appreciate in verse in verse seven. Um, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Do we purpose in our heart? And again, it's not it's not just budgeting, but do we have our heart in it, um, not grudgingly or of necessity? For God loves a cheerful giver. I love that idea of cheerfulness, and we'll touch on that uh, in our next class. Um, I commend you to the Lord to be generous, and not just with your money, but with your thoughts and your words and your time, and be, and be cheerful. Think of what, how God has worked through Christ and how he pours out everything that we need. We, may we not do it grudgingly or of necessity. Don't have the attitude, I'm, I'm going to make time for myself first. I'm going I'm to think about myself first. I'm going I'm to talk to myself first. But be, may we always be generous with everything. Love you all. <laughs>